Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. I want to say welcome back, Bible Center family. It's so great to have you with us. Uh, For those of you who are joining us online or on TV, thank you for being a part of us, just as much a part as if you were here. I also want to welcome those of you who may be new to us. If you're new to Bible Center, if this is your first time uh, watching this broadcast, we're so glad you're here. I would love the opportunity to meet you and uh, feel free to connect with us so that we can connect you more uh, to Jesus and to one another. I wanna ask you a question today, and it's simply this, have you ever tried to maintain anything? Have you ever tried to maintain anything? Maybe it was an antique car. Maybe it was a garden. Of course, if if you have a house, you know what it's like to maintain a house. It seems that uh, with home ownership, there comes uh, a lot of responsibility, of course. Something is always breaking. As soon as you get the gutter fixed and then the dryer breaks, and as soon as the dryer breaks, the roof has a leak, there's always something to fix. Now, thankfully, my wife, to whom I've been married for almost 21 years, Sarah, uh, is more of a, of, a, of a repair person than I am. Uh, she knows her way around Lowe's and Home Depot far more than I do. We say that her garage, the garage is actually her garage, not our garage. The other day we were at Lowe's about two weeks ago and she was working on a project and needed some help with carrying some of the things she was gonna get. And, and I was walking behind her trying to be a good husband. I was doing the best I could to smile and pretend like I was having a good time, but I really don't enjoy Lowe's. I read books for a living. I preach and teach for a living. I pray for a living. You don't want me working on your house. But I was trying to be a good husband and I'm walking behind her and, and really just thinking about all the other things I wish I was doing besides uh, being in Lowe's. And at one point she stops right in the front of the store. She stops and she comes back to me and whispers something in my ear. Now, you husbands know that when your wife wants to whisper something in your ear, you, you pay attention. I was wondering, maybe she was just thanking me sweetly for coming to Lowe's with her. Maybe she was going to whisper some sweet nothing in my ear. But no, my wife in the front of Lowe's here in Charleston, West Virginia, leans over to my ear and she says this, will you please keep up with me? You look like a pathetic little boy walking behind me. And of course, I, uh, we had a good laugh and I realized that, okay, I'm not acting like I'm having a good time. I need to try to have a better time. Uh, but today we're gonna be talking about maintaining something. But we're gonna be maintaining something far more important than your house or an antique car or a garden. We're talking about maintaining unity in Jesus's church. I love what Ephesians chapter four and verse three says. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Jesus gave us the unity through the Holy Spirit, but it's our job to maintain it. Unity requires hard work. Unity requires sweat. One of the ways that we maintain unity in the church is by regularly participating and celebrating communion, which leads me to today's big idea. Here's today's big idea. In the church, nothing nurtures union like communion. In the church, nothing nurtures union like communion. Our world is divided on epic proportions. 
However, Jesus's church is called to be peculiar. The unity we have in Christ is indeed countercultural to our divided world. Just as church membership and baptism are symbols of that unity, so is communion. Now, I'm excited for those who are joining us in person, and even if you want to participate with us online or on TV, going forward, every single weekend, we're going to celebrate communion as a church family. And I'm thrilled because it's something I've dreamed of since I've arrived here five years ago. For over 70-some years, we've had a tradition here at our church for celebrating communion either once a month or every other month, and that's a beautiful thing. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we have to take communion. It just gives each church the freedom. Paul says, do it as often as you choose. But we are moving to take communion every single weekend. Now, I'll admit that taking communion every weekend is going to come with a certain danger. First of all, there's the danger of traditionalism. We're going to have to work hard not to allow weekly communion to become stale or rote or mindless. May we never become so focused on the method or on the liturgy itself that we forget the heart behind what communion is all about. However, In our day and age, our post-Christian culture, as it's now called, I'm actually more wary of another hazard, and that is the hazard of gospel amnesia, gospel amnesia. Perhaps more than ever, it seems easy for us to forget what our sin really did to Jesus on the cross. Simultaneously, our society seems to respect those who can fix themselves Notice in the movies and even our cultural heroes, our our pop stars are often, the people who are most popular are people who pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. But the world perceives those who know they're needy, who admit they're needy, who say that they need a savior, that they need a savior daily to get them through life. Some parts of the world see that as being weak. And so communion is the key, not only to reminding us that we need Jesus daily, weekly, monthly, but communion is also the key for the church to remember that we need Jesus for our unity. And so I am burdened that if there's ever been a time in our culture and our society that we needed more reminders of Jesus, it is today and in this age. I pray that today's message serves kind of like a a stake in the ground, like a flag in the sand kind of message, a message that we can look back on and think, why do we do communion? And I trust that in the years and decades to come, what we discuss today will be a help to you and will continue to be a help to me. In the next few minutes, I'm going to give you a series of reasons about why this is true about why communion nurtures union. But I wanna point you to the app. If you haven't yet downloaded the Bible Center app, feel free to do that. Uh, On the app, you'll see a series of notes of all of our sermons, all of our messages. There's hundreds of hours of content through classes and various things there. But today's sermon is on the app and you can follow along in the notes section. So in what ways does communion unite us as a church family. 
How does communion unite us as a church family? Well, number one, it's a time when we together remember what Jesus did on the cross. It's a time when we together as a church family remember what Jesus did on the cross. 1 Corinthians 11 Verse 25, 23 through 25 says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me me. One of the purposes of communion is to remind us of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. Now, had you been there in person, had you been there to see what Jesus did, not only would you have seen death, but you would have smelled the aroma of death. Uh, You would have heard certain things. You would have smelled uh, certain things. You would have been able to touch the dirt that that was wet with sweat and blood. And so in the same way, God has made communion a sensory event. We can hear the breaking of the bread. The way we do it here at our church in person, those of you that have been here for a communion service, especially since the pandemic, uh, we have communion packets And even the the opening of those packets, as inconvenient as it may be to get the the cracker, and in our case, the juice, to get the cracker and the juice, there is this this sound of brokenness. And so we we can hear it, we can see it, we can taste the bread and the juice or the wine in our mouth. We can smell and taste the elements. So communion is a time when we together remember what Jesus did on the cross. Number two, in what ways does communion unite us? Well, it's a time when we together confess our sins. It's a time when we together confess our sins. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, in other words, without recognizing the gravitas of what they're about to do, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, not about the person sitting next to us, not about the the Christian that we know who lives across town. But if we were more discerning about ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. God designed communion to be a time when we confess our sins together as a church family. This isn't the only time through the week that we're to confess our sins. We're we're to confess and repent daily and often daily. But it is the time when we come together each week and confess our sins corporately or collectively. So all throughout our auditorium, as we're taking communion or as you're taking communion there at home, there's this sense in which that at the same time, though we may not be saying them out loud, 
We are taking them to God and confessing our sin to Him. If you're like me, I can easily get in the place where I forget how important it is that I repent of my sin. I can get to the place that I forget that sinning against God is a very, very big deal. And so communion is a time when we're reminded that our sin is cosmic treason against God. Our sin cost Jesus everything. And so whether you take communion here in person, whether you take communion at home with friends or family or your community group, I want to encourage you to ask yourself these questions. Ask yourself questions like this. How is my heart toward the Lord and is he first in my life? Do I really love the Lord and love others? Do I have any unconfessed sin in my heart? Am I knowingly harboring any actions or attitudes that displease the Lord? What are the present state of my relationships with others? Am I promoting any division or retaining any bitterness? You see, communion, as we have a, a moment prior to celebrating communion, it gives us a time for us together to confess our sins. Number three, in what ways does communion unite us? How does it bring us together as a church? Well, it's a time when we together praise and thank God for all he has done for us. It's a time when we praise and thank the Lord, not individually, not in silos, but we do this corporately, collectively. We do this together. Another name for communion is Eucharist. Some denominations call it Holy Eucharist. It's from the Greek word for thanksgiving. And in the Gospels, we see that after the very first communion, when Jesus and his disciples came together to celebrate Passover and he instituted communion for the Christian church, we, we find that they left and they sang a song together. 1 Corinthians tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, there it is, a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Now, I know this year has been a very hard year for all of us. The last 12, 15 months have been unbelievable for some of you. Some of you have lost loved ones. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you got sick. Maybe you got COVID or you received some other form of bad news. But life for almost all of us has been turned upside down. And so there are certainly a lot of things that we need to grieve and a lot of things that are completely acceptable to grieve. But can we agree today that there are still things that we can be thankful for? That there are still things that we can praise the Lord for? I'm reminded of one of the, the men of our church. He's actually a staff member. And he was telling me that over Christmas, they had a gathering at their house. And one of the little boys that, that came to the house with his family, uh, they asked him to pray for the meal. And so he bowed his head and all around the table, the adults bowed their head and the little boy started thanking God for everything that was on the table. Like literally everything that was on the table. Dear Lord, thank you for the mashed potatoes. Dear Lord, thank you for the gravy. 
Dear Lord, thank you for the pie. He only thanked the Lord, though, for the things that he liked to eat. And he refused to thank the Lord for things like vegetables and things that he didn't like to eat. But in many ways, that's the way we are. And so when we come together for communion, communion reminds us that everything in life comes through the broken, pierced hands of Jesus. And it unites us when we together praise and thank God for all he has done for us and all that he's yet to do. How does communion unite us? Well, number four, communion, number four, it's a meal that symbolizes our peace with God and one another. Communion is a meal that symbolizes our peace with God and one another. Now, you're going to see a number of scripture verses in your outline. And so that's what I would encourage you to, to get the notes, get the Bible Center app, check out the outline. There are dozens of verses, well over 100 under this point alone, that trace the theme of meals and eating throughout the Old and New Testament. We see that God, on many occasions, used meals to create peace with his enemies, Jesus, the same way, the Son of God, God the Son, used meals over and over again, particularly in the Gospel of Luke. We see that over a dozen times, Jesus has a meal with someone to symbolize or create peace. Many of our greatest memories in life are centered around meals, either something that we do before the meal or during the meal or after the meal. I'm thinking of some trout that I ate when I was in uh, near the Gallatin River, 60 miles north of Yellowstone. And the Montana Association of Churches had invited me to participate. And I was there for three weeks. And it was a beautiful time to be there. Uh, and the camp manager actually fished almost every day. He was semi-retired. And he fixed me for the first time I can remember in my life eating trout. I'm sure I've eaten trout some other time but not like this, straight out of the river, cooked on his stove. I can remember other times in my life where, I, for instance, I was in Pennsylvania and the first time I had shoe fly pie. It tasted like nothing else I'd ever had. I remember the first time I had shoe fly pie. I remember eating kebabs, chicken kebabs and steak kebabs over a homemade grill in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I remember the breakfast that I had the, the morning after our honeymoon. I remember Sarah and I having bacon and eggs. And it's just one of those memories, just celebrating good seasons and good times in life. So I want to invite you to take a moment and think about all the memories that you have around meals. While eating with others, consider the stories or the jokes you've shared or heard Consider the lessons you've learned, the love you've found, or the love you've lost. Around meals, consider the hard conversations that you've had. I remember particularly going into Bob Evans to ask my future father-in-law for his daughter's hand in marriage. And I'm walking in there, my hands were sweaty, and I can take you to the exact booth where we sat, wherever I asked him if I could, if I could propose, if I could marry his daughter. And I think I still get a little nervous when I walk into Bob Evans today. But I remember that. It's a core memory. In every country and in every culture of the world, food connects people. Food turns strangers into friends. 
That's some of the teaching we see in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here it is. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The writer of Psalm 23 was using this imagery that many times peace treaties were signed over meals. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the heart behind communion. Communion brings us together, it unites us as if even though we're only taking a little bit of juice or, or a little bit of wine or, or we're taking just a little cracker, that, that bread and that juice reminds us that we have peace with God and one another. And what other ways does communion unite us? Well, number five, communion points us to the second coming of Jesus when he will make all things new. Christians, the church, and the universe. Jesus is going to make all things new, and communion actually points to that truth. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six says, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So even Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote this, wanted us to see communion through the lenses of, of the second coming of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 25, verses six through nine. Most scholars believe that communion even points back to this and this points forward into what will one day be communion and then a future event I'll explain in a minute. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that envelops all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. In the last couple chapters of the book of Revelation, the last few chapters, we see an event. Now, Revelation is written in apocalyptic literature. It's very difficult at times for any of us to understand, but the symbolism of the church, of all of God's people of all time coming together, getting to be with God himself, God paints us the picture of one big banquet table, one big meal. We often refer to it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so communion not only looks back to what Jesus did on the cross, and it not only looks back to, to what happened at the Passover, but it looks future, it looks forward to the day that Jesus comes again. The Old Testament believers looked forward to the first coming of Jesus. We call that Christmas. But communion looks forward to the second coming of Jesus 
At communion, we are all like the children of Israel in the wilderness, tasting fruit plucked from the promised land. It is the future coming to meet us in the present. And so every communion has a little bit of Christmas in it. It has a little bit of Good Friday. It has a little bit of Easter. But also every communion points us to the second coming of Jesus when he will make all things new. Next weekend, the entire message is about that, about the day that Jesus returns. I invite you uh, to tune in next week as well. In what ways does communion unite us? Well, number six, communion in a way that we can't fully comprehend is like baptism. It's a time when we together participate with Jesus in a spiritual way. Let's look at that again. Communion in a way that we can't fully comprehend is like baptism. Communion is a time when we together participate with Jesus in a spiritual way. Now, our God is so creative. He's given us two symbols, two illustrations, or, or two object lessons that we can see over and over again in the church. The first symbol that we see is, is baptism, and the second symbol is communion. Neither baptism nor communion are rituals. Let us never call them rituals. But instead, I like to call them rehearsal. Communion and baptism are rehearsal. We rehearse the gospel story to ourselves, to one another, and to a watching world every time we take communion and every time we're baptized. Now, Romans chapter 6 talks a lot about this participation with Jesus through our baptism. I actually preached on that last weekend, and so I encourage you to check out that message. If you haven't yet been baptized, there is still time and there are still slots open for you to be baptized in our baptism weekend, February 25th through the 28th. If you just simply go to our website, right there on the homepage, biblecenterchurch.com, or you can go to the app and you can sign up today to be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've never yet followed the Lord in believer's baptism, I encourage you to do that. This is the way to do that this month. But communion, like baptism, is this spiritual participation with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, that's a strong word, in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? You say, man, I'm not quite understanding this point. What, is it, what does it mean, a participation with Christ? What do these three verses mean that in communion, in the cup of thanksgiving, we somehow participate in the blood and body of Christ? Can I be completely transparent with you? I really can't say for sure. I really can't say for sure. Now, when I was in Bible college some 20-some years ago, I thought I knew dogmatically what those verses were saying, and certainly there are some principles that we can be dogmatic about, but this verse is so intimate, it is so mysterious, it is so above us that in some way we won't be able to fully understand this verse in our mortal minds. But even though I don't completely comprehend it, I believe it because that's what Jesus said. 
I was looking this week again at some of the artwork of the early church and, and how that artwork was carried over. Uh, often you see in the early church artwork, you see these two circles, one circle representing heaven and then another circle representing earth. And often in between where those circles overlap, you'll see one of two symbols. You'll see in those old paintings, you'll see a symbol of communion or a symbol of baptism. Here's a painting by Raphael about 500 or so years ago, and I like this painting. There are things about this painting I don't like. I don't like the fact that uh, Jesus is, uh, doesn't look like Jesus really looked. Jesus was from the Middle East. Uh, Jesus was from Israel. Uh, Jesus did not look like this, but I still like the way uh, this painting is set up. You have the scene of heaven with Jesus on his throne, and then you have here on earth, you have what they've depicted in their culture as the communion table. And so what they're trying to do is through painting, Raphael is trying to show that in communion, somehow there's this spiritual participation that we, God's people, have with Jesus. And that is very accurate. It's right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So in a way that we can't fully comprehend, like baptism, communion is a time when we together participate with Jesus in a very spiritual way. Lastly, number seven. Finally, in what ways does communion unite us? Well, number seven, it's a time when we enter the spiritual presence of Christ together as a church family. Communion is a time when we enter the spiritual presence of Christ together as a church family. Now, again, this is in your notes, but I encourage you to think with me or follow along with me. On the individual level, we as Christians live in the presence of Jesus every day. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Latin phrase is quorum Deo or quorum Christo. We live in the presence of God. The Christian mystics like to say that Jesus is just beyond the veil. And I think in scripture, there's some truth to that. Additionally, as a church, there's something spiritual and supernatural that happens when we come together. Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in their midst. He wasn't saying that God's not with you when you're alone. He was just saying that, that Christ is with us in a special way when we come together for worship and for prayer. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 29, tells us that when we come together as God's people to worship in spirit and in truth, we are literally coming to a spiritual Mount Zion. Angels gather with us. Heaven itself is not far away, and Jesus himself, the spiritual presence of Christ, gathers with us when we meet together for worship. Yet, even with those truths considered, Christians have believed for millennia that we step into the presence of Christ in a more intimate way through communion. You can see even more in John chapter 6, verse 56. So do the bread and the wine, I'll ask you, do the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice become the actual body of Jesus 
in our stomachs? And the answer, of course, is not at all. Not at all. There is no scriptural evidence for such. And that idea seems to have roots more in Plato, Plato and instead of Jesus. However, let us also avoid, though, the other extreme of thinking that communion is only a physical symbol. About 400 to 500 years ago, the reformers, specifically the Swiss reformers, swung the pendulum, I believe, too far the other way. They taught that communion is simply a sign. They taught that communion is simply a reminder of the historical fact that Christ had died for their sins. For some of them, communion was merely a cognitive exercise. And so we ask, is our brain involved in communion? Absolutely. It is definitely a mental exercise. I'm not denying that. I've preached all about that, the first five or six points of my sermon. But I am gonna say that it's more than mental. It is also spiritual and supernatural. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote. He said this, I don't know and I can't imagine what the disciples understood our Lord to mean when his body still unbroken and his blood unshed, he handed them the bread and the wine, saying they were his body and his blood. Yet I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation. Here at communion, he says, a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul, but my body. John Calvin essentially wrote a, a whole large portion of one of his commentaries about communion. And yet Calvin wrote this, it is a mystery too sublime for me to be able to express or even to comprehend. And to be still more explicit, I would rather experience it than understand it. And so communion is a time we don't fully understand it, but when we as a church enter the spiritual presence of Christ in a greater way. You say, Matt, what do you want us to do? What's the takeaway of today's message? Today's takeaway is simply this. Let's protect our union by taking communion. Let's protect our union by taking communion. We're going to take communion, Lord willing, every service for this season, for this foreseeable future. We're going to take communion every time we gather here as a church. We have services on Thursday and services on Sunday. Lord willing, we're going to take communion every single time. We'll do it in a pandemic-friendly way. We'll be safe. We'll be careful. But we're going to take communion. I encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not able yet to come out to church, let me encourage you, after all of our services, have, your, have the, the bread or the, and the juice or the wine, have that available and take communion. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 talks all about it. You say, Matt, why are you so serious about communion? Why are you so excited about communion? Here's the reason. Here's the reason. In the church, Nothing nurtures union like communion. Let's celebrate communion in such a way that not only honors Jesus, but also celebrates the unity, the union that we have with Christ and one another. 
For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.